The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febctoday.org. To change the heart and to begin the process of growth into understanding that if you don't love God, who you don't see, then how can you love your brother? But I do believe that God working in our lives can make that happen. He's a Hall of Fame vocalist and winner of many awards, yet his life story and the people who shaped his life are largely unknown. Larnell Harris is our guest now on First Person. Welcome, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Larnell says he shed a few tears in writing his autobiography, Shaped Notes, as he told some painful memories that he has never shared publicly. And in a moment, we'll get to know this musical artist whose career spans five decades. These first-person interviews are all available online for listening on demand. They can be streamed at firstpersoninterview.com. And with our smartphone app, you can download programs for playback at your convenience. Look for First Person Interview in your app store and download it for free. In writing his memoir, Larnell Harris set out to pay respect to the men and women in his life who influenced him greatly along the way. His book is titled Shaped Notes, How Ordinary People with Extraordinary Gifts Influenced My Life and Career. As we began to talk, I asked Larnell what was going through his heart and mind as he looked back over his life. Well, uh, when I started this process, um, you know, this, is, this has been talked about for a number of years and I thought that uh, it, to say, this is Larnell Harris. I'm from Danville, Kentucky. I was born. You know, that just didn't make it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but as I, I, I'm fortunate to live about 80 miles from where I was born. And I make frequent trips back there. And every time I go back there, uh, that 80 miles and travel back home, I drag home another memory. Hmm. There's somebody that I've seen. Uh, in fact, there's one lady who was our librarian at Bates School when I was a kid you know, growing up there, and she was 90 years old. I walked into her room. She was in a convalescence home, Miss Fisher, and she opened the door. She said, there is nobody I would rather see. Aww. And I tell you, that just that just <laughs> broke my heart and, and filled it with joy all at the same time. Yeah. So I started to think, you know what, this, this uh, memoir, uh, uh, let me tell you what this is going to be about. This is going to be about all those people who spoke into my life. Mm. Um, so, so I didn't approach this like, you know, I'm going to write a book. Let's see what I'm going to write about. This came about the, the, uh, the other way, to say thank you to all of those people who, as a kid, my parents, uh, uh, teachers, uh, principals, administrators, friends and family who have spoken into my life. I saw a, um, I saw a picture in a magazine. It was a turtle on a fence post. And I looked at that. And <laughs> first, I just kind of laughed at it. And then as I, as I stared at it, I saw it. You know what? That turtle didn't get up there by itself. That's right. Somebody helped it. Now, it may feel, uh, viewing the world from up there, it <laughs> he, may feel he's a little... He's all-powerful from that perch, it, isn't he? <laughs> that, that's right. It may feel a little uncomfortable, as as we all should sometimes feel when we have the the wonderful privilege of handling the very nuggets of the Bible, and and we are all called to it. 
But you know, um, on the other hand, uh, it it was just an it's just an opportunity for me to say to all those folks, uh, two little words that that I love to use. Thank you. Mm. Well, you say it well with the subtitle of your book, How Ordinary People with Extraordinary Gifts Influenced My Life and Career. So I know how much you value the people throughout your life. Let's, let's start. I learned so much about you in this book. But let's start with your mom and dad. Uh, yeah. they, they both had very difficult uh, beginnings to life, didn't they? Yeah, they really did. And uh, through my mom's prayers and my dad's uh, decision to allow those prayers to affect his life, uh, you know, it's a story of victory. Dad had some issues. I got to tell you, you know, that was all there is to it. Hmm. And, uh, and she being a Pentecostal holiness lady, uh, wore that white dress with them big buttons run down the front. <laughs> she was, she was a prayer. She was a prayer warrior. She knew how to and pray, I, didn't she? And she knew how to do it, boy. I can't, she could get it done. And I was a little kid, you know, little boy, you know, five, six years old. I don't know. Something was something in that neighborhood. I would sit at her knee at night as she would pray for him. And, and I got to tell you, even I knew that he didn't have a chance. There was just not a chance in the world. And he, he, he finally, you know, uh, through, uh, through her prayers and, again, through his willingness to allow Christ into his heart, broke a cycle that had started, you know, and I'm not going to tell you everything. You have to read yeah, the book. Yeah, it, it, it's an there. amazing story in the book, but yeah, yeah. I'm just going to say this. There, they came a, a distinct turning point in your father's life because of your mother's prayers. It, it came after even some jail time, but how, yeah. old, how old were you when your dad made that turn? You know, I, I, I don't remember exactly, but I was old enough to know he did it. Okay. You know what I'm saying? All right. Uh, 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 because he, he had that, that terrible time for all of us, you know, uh, uh, that jail time uh, uh, was, was tough for all of us. I, I was old enough to know that, okay? Uh, but uh, I have to say this. I noticed, even as a kid, this something different <laughs> you know it was, it was it was just different he had be, he had become and this is after some time um he had become uh a man proud uh he um uh became the the, the spiritual head of our family he he uh, he went on to be a, a, a deacon in our church and i got to tell you uh, uh, uh this little boy yeah, really needed to see that yeah. And in terms of if, you know, we like to pick heroes in, ter- in terms of picking heroes, he and mom are my heroes. Yeah. You developed a, a deep respect for your dad. I really did. And, uh, and I, 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 I respected him all along, I guess, you know, because everything was, was felt fairly normal. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But, uh, boy, when that happened and, and again, I'm looking back on this. So I know a whole lot more, know sure. a whole lot more things to notice than I did then. I can tell you this, things were different, and yeah. they were. That's amazing. Good. That's amazing. So did you grow up in church, and did you start singing in church? I did. I, I, uh, uh, I grew up in church. My mom made certain of that. I mean, it was, it <laughs> you, was a no-brainer. No <laughs> you know, <laughs> and she'd get in your face about it. You know, listen, boy, I brought you into this world. I'll take you out. You know, here. <laughs> And I have to tell you, she had tried it a couple of times, so I knew better than to book that. Uh, but I, I started singing when I met a lady named Miss Georgia Dunahai. Miss Georgia Dunahai. She taught piano lessons to every kid in town, whether they wanted them or not. I, I, I really didn't want to do that, but my mom wanted me to do it, and you know what? Uh, she normally got her way. Mm-hmm. So 
I started taking piano lessons, and Miss Georgie found out I could sing a tune. Now, I'm a boy soprano. I was a boy soprano. I knew it. I sang at home all the time, but I didn't let anybody hear that. You know, the, uh, and when they did, the ladies, uh, for instance, in the church choir would just cry when they'd hear me yeah, sing. Yeah, I bet you were their stuff. darling, weren't you? <laughs> I was their darling. But the kids my own age, man, they just laughed and, throw, <laughs> and uh-huh. threw stuff. You know, that, that wasn't easy. But I did my first concert with Miss Georgie playing the piano when I was nine years old. As in this uh, Texas, what I call, I don't even know what, what, what they are, but it was looked like, I'd call it a Texas bow tie, you know, with the, those little strings hanging down the yep, side. Yep. And I'm standing there and I'm a, singing songs. A bolo tie, sure, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I'm singing songs like uh, uh, How Great Thou Art and The Lord's Prayer, Miss Georgie playing. And, and I can remember uh, uh, crying, you know, tears coming to my eyes as, as I sang these things. Hmm. And I really didn't understand all of that. I, that was all, that was all uh, very, very, very new. But um, that's when I started singing. Miss Georgie, you know, mentors can get on your last nerve because they don't quit. They, they, they just don't stop. So she went to my mom uh, one time and said, Ida Mae, you should not let Larnell play football or baseball or any sports in the dust. Well, what fun because, is that? Uh, uh, yeah, you know, hey, who, who needs to do that? Yeah, because the dust will hurt his voice. Oh. So, But I got to tell you, now that I've gotten older and understand what God was doing as he placed these people in my life, I hope every town has a Miss Georgie. Oh, yeah. And I know how fondly you think of her today. Hey, when, oh, man, when, yeah. did, when did Jesus become your Lord and Savior then? You grew up in church, so when did it become real yeah. for you? It became real to me it, after I graduated from college. I met an old boy named Stan Morris. Uh, and Stan, uh, I, I had great, I, and still do, he's still living. I have wonderful respect for Stan. He's a wonderful jazz trombone player. And, um, and I met him through a group called the Spurlows, uh, Thurlow Spurnus Spurlows, really was the, the sort of the beginning of uh, contemporary Christian music. And I had gone to an audition camp up in Michigan, and uh, the kids came in uh, that, uh, of the group that was already formed of the Spurlows and did a uh, sort of a, you know, a concert for, for those of us who, who had never seen it. And during that concert, they gave their testimonies. And, uh, boy, when I heard those testimonies, I, I was okay. I was a drummer. You know, I, mm-hmm. I had auditioned as a drummer. I was going to play. But when I heard those testimonies, it was very, very uncomfortable because I, I hadn't, I, I didn't, what, what, what I had didn't sound like what they had. And so then in, in walked Stan Morris. He did arrangements for the group and, and played some. And so he asked me a very pointed question. Larnell, what, you say you're a Christian, you joined church. What does that mean? And I started telling him, saying to him all of those things that I thought sounded right. And he stopped me mid-sentence and said, you know, have you ever had a time, can you remember a time when you asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart? Well, man, I'd been, I'd been in church, you know, since 12 years old, you know, or, or, or earlier, but I couldn't remember that. And it was at that camp of the, uh, of the Spurlows, the auditioning camp of the Spurlows, through an old guy who just said, you know what, I'm going to ask the pointed question and be, be uh, Jesus here to this kid for, <laughs> for a moment and ask him this question. And it was at that audition camp that I asked Christ to come to my heart. And boy, did things begin to change. He's telling us his own life story and we'll continue with Larnell Harris coming up on First Person. 
I'm so grateful for the grace I received while listening to FBBC all day long. I cried listening to God's message multiple times. Just one of millions of grateful people who listens to the Far East Broadcasting Company in her own language. You can sign up for a free online daily devotional from FEBC, telling more listener stories, while at the same time it encourages you from God's Word. Receive this online devotional without obligation when you visit firstpersoninterview.com. My guest is Larnell Harris, whose new autobiography is titled Shape Notes, How Ordinary People with Extraordinary Gifts Influenced My Life and Career. I want to get as much of your story as we can on the program here today. But of course, there is so much more in this book, uh, Larnell, that I want our listeners to read. Um, there were a bunch of surprises along the way. One of them is I did not know that you're a ham radio guy. I have been a ham radio, amateur radio guy for over 40 years. It's a wonderful hobby. How did I not uh, know this? I, you know what? I don't know that, that you know, uh, sometimes a lot of stuff I've had, I've kept pretty close to the vest. This was something that I did. I enjoyed. Uh, I, uh, this is something else you don't know. Uh, I, I very rarely touch a microphone. I have a little mic fright as it comes to <laughs> no speaking way. to people over the air, but code CW Morse code. I copy Morse code probably 30, 40 words a minute. You know, that's how I communicate with people all over the world. And when you are sitting behind a CW key, a Morse code key, you can think of little else. <laughs> and it's a, it's a wonderful break from, from just everything. Well, it's just one of those fun facts that I learned about you in reading the book. Well, tell me about the love of your life, Mitzi. You know what? She really is. We met back in college, back at Western Kentucky University. Had a pretty pretty rocky relationship at first because she was a grown up. <laughs> you know, I was a, I'm still a kid trying to grow up. And uh, but our our, our relationship uh, uh, suffered through that period of our lives. And 46 years later, we are still uh, having a lot of fun. Hmm. Mitzi has Mitzi has her master's in special education and taught for many, many years in the school systems, and she just can't get enough. She is now retired, okay? So when she retired, <laughs> the first thing she did was accept a position on the Board of Regents of a college. Oh, all right. And so, uh, so she did that for six years, and but she's retired. Okay, so now the next thing she has accepted is... Uh, we had a lady at our daycare uh, uh, center at church who had to retire. And so Mitzi is now almost running the place. And so I'm eating lots of soup these days. I still, <laughs> one of these days. Oh, poor you. <laughs> you know, one of these days she's going to give up this stuff and take care of her husband. But you know what? <laughs> we are having a wonderful time and and. We have two kids that we are proud of, that we have loosed on the world, and we have three grandchildren. And you know what? I thought that uh, when our kids left, our, our job was done. You yeah. know what? Seems yeah. like it's just beginning. It's just starting. <laughs> yep. Uh, Larnell, I, I want to talk to you about some people. Your book is about the people who shaped your life. You already mentioned Thurlow Spur and your start with the Spurlows. Talk about Bill Gaither. Oh, my. Just tell me somebody that Bill has not touched with his music. You know what I heard the other day? That there are people out in the bush. They don't even they don't know what a radio is. And they're singing because he lives. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so this guy has had he and Gloria have yeah. had a, uh, an impact on 
I, I call them the, the the world's ministers of music, and Bill is just a wonderful guy. I spent uh, a few years in the vocal band after I was in the backup group and soloist on the tour, and he and Gloria are just wonderful. And they have not only spoken into my life, they are not only a part of my history, I, I am so thankful to be a part of theirs. You mentioned Because He Lives, it was sung at Billy Graham's uh, funeral service, and I know that you had some, some connection with the Graham team as well during your life. Yes, I was there, and uh, what a wonderful service that was. I, I remember the first. I remember the first crusade that that I was a part of. It was in Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, the, that morning, Cincinnati is about a hundred miles from here, so I didn't sweat the you know the distance too much. I could just get there, jump in the car, and be up there. So th- that morning, I was in my home church, uh, church that Mitzi and I were attending, and. The pastor asked me to sing, and I sang, and it was probably 15, 20 people. And that night, I sang for 50,000 people. <laughs> but before that happened, I had to get in the building. I, I, I got there and parked in the parking lot with everybody else. It, it, there was some stuff or uh, uh, information that I didn't get or something like that. So I go up to the usher. And there are people milling everywhere, and this is in the stadium. This is a huge deal. And, and I say to the usher, uh, sir, um, I'm, singing here to, I'm singing here tonight, and I really need to get in here. He looked at, he looked at me, and he said, oh, really? <laughs> and I said, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I, oh, oh, I hear, hear that? That's my track. They're, they're, they're waiting on me to come rehearse. And he looked at me, and he said, in all earnestness, son, are you saved? <laughs> so that's my favorite Billy Graham story. I, I was going to sing. Listen, I thought of this as a career move. You know what? Man, I'm going to be singing for the Billy Graham organization. And I get up there and I cannot even get in. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> when, I, when I did get in, I knew that it was more than I had been thinking at all. Hmm. This was real. Uh, to watch doc, uh, to watch uh, uh, Billy Graham stand at that podium and speak the words of life, and then stand back and all of those people uh, come forward to receive Christ or to at least inquire about it was was is something that I will never ever forget. Hmm. And thankfully, had the privilege of being a part of the music uh, that uh, uh, that evening that prepared the, the the people to hear his message of life. Yeah. Well, there's so many other people I'd like to ask you about, but you write about them in the book. And again, the book is called Shaped Notes, uh, the autobiography of Larnell Harris. Uh, Larnell, you were fond of saying that God is is colorblind. Uh, Can we talk about that for a moment? Uh, What's behind that statement? Other than the beautiful scenery and one of the trees and flowers, I believe that that he is as, as colorblind as he can be. A good friend of mine, Dr. Tony Evans, says this, and I, I've just kind of adopted this uh, over the years, that there are no white Christians. The Bible doesn't talk about any black Christians. Uh, it just talks about Christians. It talks about people who have taken the opportunity to, first of all, receive his wonderful love and grace and hope and peace in their hearts and in their lives and commitment and uh, and also the the wonderful opportunity that we all have to put ourselves in the place where he can do his work in our hearts and in our lives listen you can't you can't legislate love mm. it's just not possible mm-hmm. but but you can allow the uh, 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 I, I believe and I think um, a part of my ministry, uh, uh, the reason that I have been uh, where I am in ministry and devoted to it is because I believe that in order to change a person, you have to change their heart. I mean, that's the, that's the first order of business. 
And the only way that I know to do that, to begin the process, first to change the heart and to begin the process of growth into understanding that if you don't love God, who you don't see, you can't see, you believe he's there by faith, then how can you love your brother? And I, but I do believe that God uh, 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 working in our lives can make that happen. And yet, Larnell, you grew up in the Mid-South, and you grew up in some interesting times, so you had to have some experience with racism along the way. Oh, I, I, of course I did. Uh, but uh, I tell you, that meeting, with that, that uh, encounter with Stan Morris changed a lot of things. I was a pretty angry kid, I mean, growing up in, in a small town where, uh, you know, there was evidence of, uh, of, uh, of prejudice and people, you know, which, which I can, it's hard for me to understand how one person can believe that they're better than another. Right. Uh, but you know what? Hey, and, and this is also in the book. You'll have to read it to find the, to find the particulars. But I was with a, a group of kids, and we were all in a restaurant, and we got thrown out because the proprietor said, I cannot have blacks and whites eating together in my restaurant. Mm. And, uh, and, and, and he looked at me, and he pointed his finger at me, and he said, you know what? I wouldn't hurt that kid. He's performing now for his buddies. They're all standing around. <laughs> I wouldn't hurt that kid for anything in the world. He's pointing right at me. But he said, you know what? I cannot. I cannot. There is no way that I can allow blacks and whites to eat together in my restaurant. And look, and when I looked at him, I was surprised at myself that I didn't hate him. Hmm. But I was I was just um, uh, I, I, I felt um, that this was deeper than any hate could eradicate. This needed something else. This needed the love of Christ. And though he might not get it today, I'm going to pray that someday he will be in a situation where, where he will uh, 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 allow God to change his heart. Listen, you cannot legislate that. There's just no way to do that. You know, God has to change his heart. And, I'm, and I've gone back to that city. Uh, and I'm not even going to call the name of it, but I've been back to that city and done a concert in that city. Hmm. Uh, our group could not even do a concert in the church because it was, uh, because we, it was mixed. Our group was mixed. You know, um, that, n- nothing breaks through that. Nothing breaks through that except God and his Holy Spirit. Amen. When you determine to sing a song, what goes into that decision? It, it, it has to be a, a song that, uh, that speaks to me. It has to be something that, that even if I didn't write it, I can say I could have. You know, it's, a, it's, it's sound from a scriptural point of view. It talks about a heart change, as we just spoke about. It is one that I can stand and, and with the weight of the Holy Spirit, sing with everything that I've got knowing that someone out there needs to hear it and needs the message that it brings about. Larnell Harris talking about his life and musical ministry and looking back on the people who encouraged him along the way. His autobiography is titled Shape Notes and we'll have additional information about this first-person interview and Larnell's book at our website, firstpersoninterview.com. A special thank you to the Far East Broadcasting Company for making this weekly program available FEBC knows the power of a person's life and testimony when it is dedicated to God. And if you'd like to know more about FEBC and its local language gospel message broadcasts in nearly 50 countries of the world, please visit firstpersoninterview.com and click on the banner for FEBC. 
One exciting development is the building of a radio station to reach deep into North Korea. You'll learn more about that and more when you click on the FEBC banner at firstpersoninterview.com. And to leave a comment, go to facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to First Person. First Person.